everyone. <laughs> this is Tamil Vision episode 82. This is your host, Heather Gold, with your other host, Deb Schultz in San Francisco. Hello, Deb. Hello, it's a heat wave here today. I'm so oh, happy. Fuck. You lucky person. And I'm in Toronto where it's so not a heat wave. And, and also, also co hosting as usual, Kevin Marks. Welcome, Kevin. And I'm in Chicago where it's raining. Oh, that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> In a pathetic way. And this is Tumble Vision, the only X-rated business show on the web. Um, actually, Tumble Vision is a salon-style podcast where we hang out every week and talk about um, – what it's how to live uh, and tumble in a world in a post command control world, what it's like to live in a networked culture. So we talk about tech business and culture from this network perspective, mostly around what it means to have people and humans be at the center of all of this stuff. And it's an opportune week for that because man occupy wall street. It's, it's starting to crush down everywhere. This issue mm-hmm. and why tumble vision? What the hell is that word? Well, Tumbling is an is something that uh, comes from word tumble, an old Yiddish word, uh, and someone who was a tumbler was somebody who was hired to entertain at a wedding or to told jokes, would mix it up. And uh, part of why we like the word is, um, and people use it to describe some of the way I perform, um, is because a tumbler gets people involved. It's not just passive entertainment; it's an engaged connection. It's a way to connect people without being in charge of them all necessarily. Uh, and we believe that's how engagement works uh, in the networked world. When people are trying to figure out how do these conversations happen online, it's because a person tumbles them. So that's what we talk about here this week. It's the three of us. I think it's only the second time we're doing this. Am I right? Pretty much. We yep. generally have some of the most kick-ass guests in the world on this show. We've had some amazing people here and now you have the kick-ass three of us and all of you if you want to join this show live you can go to tumblevision.tv and we have a chat room where we hang out with people uh, before and after and during the show um we encourage you to go subscribe and you know review the show tell us what you think of it at itunes uh, we want to thank right off the start our fantastic sponsor hover Hover is uh, domains made simple. If you want a domain name and you're annoyed with GoDaddy, which you should be because they're fucking annoying, you want to use Hover. If you want it to be really simple, you just use the code TUMMEL, T-U-M-M-E-L, and you'll also get 10% off. So you kind of can't beat that. And, uh, you know, domains are sort of the crack of the Internet lovers. So uh, Hover.com, you can call them. You can go right to our website, TumbleVision.tv, and click through. Um, please do that, and if you use our code, you'll get a little something off and support the show. This is a demo. They're our very first sponsor, and we've got 82 episodes, so keep the goodness coming, and please support them and yourself and your domain habits. Now, to the the news of the week is now going to be the news of the entire show, Um I will be all at Contact Con next week, the three of us, together in a room. Happens occasionally. Uh, Contact Con is Doug Rushkoff's conference that he got together to try to sort of say, what happened to the web and the social web before it kind of got lost? What could it be? How could we make the world better? And lo and behold, just before the conference actually happens, Occupy Wall Street has started to happen. And if you've been living under a rock, Kevin, how would you describe Occupy Wall Street 
That's a good question. It's it's an, it's a protest movement that um, seems very bottom up and and, and um, spontaneous, um, and is very much plugged into the net, um, which means that it's been met with blank incomprehension by most of the media when they go down and say. <laughs> What do you want and what are you doing? I like that those two things are linked permanently They're not not getting what's going on because it's basically, in some ways, it's it's, um, accreting all kinds of different kinds of discontent um, and providing an anchor for it with a physical presence, but it it, it actually spreads out through through the net. And it's been fascinating watching it um, spread to other cities, uh, uh, um, suddenly seeing people um, lining up at the bottom of Market Street and occupying that. Um, in San Francisco and and the um, the same in Boston and presumably other places too. Yeah, I think, that, I think that, 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 that anything embraced by the net leads to incomprehension in the general larger society. Can you say that again, Heather? Do you think that that's true? That something embraced by the net means that it becomes met by larger incomprehension. <laughs> um, if it's first from the net, yes. Usually because, for a lot of reasons, usually it means it's something edge, you know, something on the edge, something new, something different, something emergent. So there's not one person you can point to. And I, I, I thought it was really funny that, you know, echoing what Kevin just said, that uh, I think it was John Stewart the other day who said, yes. And in true typical fashion, big media did blackout and then circus. <laughs> there's nothing in between. They're either not going to um, cover the issue or they're going to cover it like it's a circus, you know, and uh, it was pretty darn funny to, to watch his little take on it. To me, Occupy Wall Street is fascinating because it's really emblematic of the bigger stuff that we're going through and the way um, it's just yet another example of the way people, you know, come together organically to make stuff happen, but we don't have systems yet in place to figure out what to do. So you always get like the media guys or the establishment will come up with these issues that they have with said emergent emergent thing. Like people are donating money, but they don't know who to donate it to. There isn't one agenda. What is the one agenda? So it's really, it always it highlights this culture clash that we're going through, right? And that's what's really interesting to me. That, that they don't know what to grab onto to talk about it because there isn't a figurehead or rules or and you know everyone's tumbling down there so it's you know it's pretty interesting and when you say everyone's tumbling down there what do you mean well one of the things that i found fascinating and i looked for a link to it and i couldn't find it for the show tonight but i'm going to keep looking is that when charles wrangle i think it was showed up at no, it wasn't Charles Rangel. It was a different politician in a different city showed up at one of the Occupy Wall Street demos. The entire crowd literally got involved and had an ongoing sort of debate, dialogue, conversation about whether they should allow this politician to speak or not. So it was really sort of democracy in action and people organizing and a few individuals standing up and saying, okay, let's have a vote on this versus let's boo or not. And even though it looks really messy from the outside, like tumbling can look messy, trying to sort of get it, it had an organized end. Some people, and, and I thought that the cream rose to the top. In other words, some people were like, no, we can't have a politician speak. And then other people were saying, well, wait, you're saying that we're having these demonstrations so that people, so that we can be heard. And then when someone does show up, we should let them speak. And so it was really nice to see sort of live in action what I think the commons is all about. 
Okay, and so there were individuals, if I could find the video, who were there who stepped up. They didn't have formal roles. They weren't the organizers of the event to make those conversations happen. And I thought that was interesting. Um, and how, who, how do you think it becomes clear who's stepping up to do that and that space is taken? And do you even know who those people are? Because I know I'd like to have them on this call right now. Yeah, we, I'd love to get one of them on. It's the same thing that we did sort of with the uh, Arab Summit. I think with Occupy Wall Street, it's been very interesting and a little bit different than the Arab Spring in that there haven't been um, these sort of iconic one or two people coming to the forefront, chosen by the media or others. I think it's really happening on the ground, and I wouldn't purport to know who unless I was there in the crowd. And to me, that's what a really great organic community is all about, that there is no obvious leader from the outside in, but if you're in there, you know who those people are. And I think they're probably the ones who have a lot of the skills that we talk about. Empathy, they're listening, they're connecting people across different points of view, they're looking at the big picture, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm kind of, I kind of like the fact that there isn't one figurehead at the moment. There might need to be one at some point. I mean, why would it, there need to be one? I think right. it's critical of this whole shift that there not be one. I agree. I'm, I'm just saying. I think if you have one, it's the end of the movement. You know what? I'm going to, I take back that I use the word movement because I really like Doug Washcroft was on a call I was on the other day and, um, and he said, I don't like, you know, it's the end of movement. And I think he's yeah. right. I agree. He talked movement is sort of linear and a narrative and, um, things where you become the thing you hate anyway. Like, you're going towards some goal, which is about the future, whereas occupying is like, we're going to be here now and be differently. It's more like Burning Man. Here we are. Yeah, it's totally Burning Man. the world we want to be. Uh, and I, I think I, the reason I say that you might need, and I don't mean you need to have one figurehead, is I think we're in a transition period. And in order for, you know, new stuff like, you know, the Occupy group, if we don't use, want to use the movement or voices to be heard, um, and maybe action to be taken, in order to build that bridge to the existing infrastructures that we have, you might need more organization. I, I don't think that's a good thing. I just think it might be a necessity. That's all I'm saying. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I love the fact that, like, how quickly it happened and how it's taking off and how it's just... You know, my question is, do you guys think it's different than any other – how or do you think it's different than any other sort of rallies or demonstrations that have happened in the past over a topic? Like I wasn't around during the, you know, sit-ins in the 60s at universities. But do you think it's different? Well, we've just said, like, this being versus the movement to something else. Like, what are your demands? What is your focus? What is your goal? And, like, there isn't one. That's different. That's yeah. profound. Although I would say, having been at the rally for sanity uh-huh. last October, that was the thing. I, there were two things about that that were interesting and profound to me. Or not mm-hmm. profound, but promising. Mm-hmm. One was the signs were the best thing. And in my opinion, the signs were, were better, which most people had made, were more interesting and funnier and better than the show put on by the Daily Show staff mm-hmm. and the Colbert staff, who were pretty fucking great. So that was that, except to me, I wanted the whole show to be the signs, which I got now with Occupy Wall Street. Good point. Uh, and then the second thing was that it wasn't about rallying people against something. There was no, it was a sort of like, what is it like for Americans to just be somewhere together in public? And that in its own way was, 
not, I wouldn't say rebellious in the sense of, oh, here we are rebelling. It was rebellious in the sense that it was different than what's happened before. So to I me, think, that's yeah. different, that, that sense of we're just working on being here differently. I think um, that's a really good point. That that, that's a huge, traditionally not American thing to do. Yeah, well, that's why I think you've sort of voiced why I loved watching the dialogue happening in the moment with people making a decision as to whether they even wanted this politician to speak or not. I wish I could remember. That's why I'm having trouble finding it. Um, It was one of these quick things that went, you know, across my RSS feed. Um, And then afterwards I said, shit, I should have saved it. It doesn't necessarily matter who it was for the purposes of this. The the interesting thing was that uh, what makes me excited about Occupy Wall Street is not whether we point fingers at big banks or not. It's that people are taking – in the same way that the Tea Party folks feel that they were taking back a point of view, they're participating and being in the moment, and um, and and that's exciting. And and being active, to me, it's about being active, like you said, like in real time, like like without, uh, you know, we just want to be heard, kind of, and loudly, and. And well, it's also post-mainstream media, right? Like who right, are following right. it now a little bit and will eventually, you know, I think be sort of follow it uh, more so. But I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that the on-the-ground media we have is the main is, – is important. Well, I think the other, the other thing is that um, – the, Meaning the net. Go ahead. So mm-hmm. somebody, somebody said this week um, was that – it's not their job to come up with policies. It's mm-hmm. their job to express discontent. It's the, the we have a representative government here. It's the, it's the job of the representatives to come up with policies and see if people like them or not. Um, so to say um, you don't have a manifesto nice. um, is, 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 is missing the point. The point is what? there's a clear grievance here um, and so we need to map that into um, possible political action and there's there's plenty of room for debate about what that should be, and that's what I've seen in the in in the, in the um, the web discussions of this has been some fairly interesting um, debate on um, how you do actually solve this problem. It was it was even watching um, Web Two Expo this week, where um, I can't remember the, the the people who were speaking. Um, there was a, an, an economist speaking there who was saying. Yeah, we've got these problems, and there's there's some things we need to do. And here's here's my set of um, prescriptions. And then seeing other economists saying, yeah, we we need some kind of transaction tax. We need some kind of um, re, um, reimposition of Glass Steagall. There's there's a whole bunch of things we could do to to try and fix the the structural flaws that we've got in the financial system here. Um, and you don't necessarily expect. Um, a set of people who've gathered in the street to complain about something to come up with that, but it is the job of the political um, um, class, if you like, and the politicians to come up with potential solutions like that. Well, or we don't just don't know where the solutions they might come up with it, but why does it need to be there first? I mean, the, the yeah. piece that mm-hmm. I've been working on for it's taking me a long time to finish writing this, but essentially to me, um, if you're following my tweets, I've, I've had some tweets about it. To me, Occupy Wall Street is a startup, and I'm just looking at it like you look at a startup. Mm-hmm. And yes. um, I said pretty early on, like two days into it, that, you know, if any startup had the um, had the kind of pickup and adoption rate that this 
protests had, they would have lined up a first round of very influential investors very quickly. And Twitter did not know very early on. They could not. I mean, Ev, I had him on a show 2007, South by Southwest, could not tell you quickly what the hell Twitter did. Okay. Right. Uh, did it mean it was irrelevant or not helpful or wasn't serving a need? Absolutely not the case. So that's just what it is when something early on is focused on a clear need or a clear way of trying to look at a problem. And if you're building a platform and if you occupy Wall Street as a platform, then it's about building something broadly enough that anyone can plug into it. If it's open enough, anybody should be able to lay on top of it the right meme, the right framing, the right structure, the right equivalent of an API of something that's going to help it work in terms of what we call policy. But it's even for me, I think this is part of a major structural shift in why tumbling is so key because we're moving past certain kinds of institutions. And there's a, there's a thing I, I tweeted out a while ago. If you look at my Google plus stream, I'll try and repost it. I mean, you know, Kevin Link Whisper, maybe you can like get it up or put it in our site quickly. It's an interview with Steve Jobs from Lewis Ruckheiser. I spent, I'm still watching obsessively a lot of Steve Jobs video <laughs> since last week. And in this interview, it's just as he's about, he's either just come back to Apple or he's about to go back to Apple. It's 96, 97. Mm-hmm. And the net is youngish. And, and the web is, not the net. Sorry about that. And Ruckheiser says to him, well, what do you think is going to contain the, the the internet is it going to be uh, government or you know you're a businessman as you might prefer the market and jobs kind of laughs and sort of clearly resists this whole it's one or the other or like i'm just like you it's all about the markets and he says i think it's uh it's bigger than that and i think the thing we're going to see is innovation contain it and what i think is so profound about that response and why i think it links to what we're seeing here with Occupy Wall Street is the very notion, the the thing that Occupy Wall Street is pointing to is the corruption between the markets and and the government. So to some degree, both of those institutions are broken. So the idea that you're going to turn to either of them to fix themselves is kind of fucked, right? Well, the the relationship is broken, and I purposely use that word, right? The, 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 The Occupy Wall Street is really about fixing Right. Like you're saying, the relationship, how the conversation and the back and forth happens. Right. I think it's even deeper than that, because each of those institutions has to be broken in order to fix not just the relationship is broken. Institutions themselves are broken. So together, that's what I'm saying. I think that there's something um, new to say maybe there's something beyond both of them. And what I like about Jobs' answer of innovation is it takes the thing the market values. The market says, here's what we built ourselves around, is this thing called that value comes from, which we think is innovation, and reconnects it as being its own thing, which really is about people. I mean, government and markets, to the degree to which they're worth anything, are because they're made up of people who make decisions. That's the part we forget. And and when you think about them abstractly and intellectually, you just point at them as these concepts and these abstract arguments about roles of these institutions, rather than people on the street going, here's the reality, motherfuckers, is we're here, we have to shit somewhere, we have to eat something, we have to buy something, we have to make decisions and make sure stuff's not corrupt. Now, all of those needs point to things that we've called the government, we've called markets, but maybe we don't have to worry about that. Maybe we just focus on the equivalent of where the innovation comes from, which is us, which is people. And so maybe we don't have the answer. Maybe the so-called 
organizers that that the boomer era and the broadcast era one to many folks are still looking at to go where's the leader and where's the point and who's got the plan and and who's going to tell us what this is and if those things aren't there i'm just going to laugh at them for being unwashed hippies and crazy when in fact the point is is it's more about spreading reality and a network a networked reality of living a different way so i mean maybe that sounds a little vague coming from me but i think it's just going to be that kind of if we go back to what a startup does, that works. Iteratively work yeah, well, at fixing the yeah. problem. Well, I like the point that how- that connecting the dots like you do between so <coughs> if if you're if it's a startup movement, which it is no matter any way you want to slice it, I think I I like that startup thing. It's something new. So it is by nature a startup, right? Um and you connect it to innovation, innovation by its nature, as someone who works a lot on innovation, you know, with big companies, it's is messy. Right, and you don't know necessarily. Like, you have a the way that I think of innovation very often is you you have a a very big frame. Like, you know, you know that you want to innovate around something big, but you don't have a specific. And you might have a big hypothesis over you know what you want to innovate around, right? Like Steve Jobs might have wanted to innovate around making the computer more user friendly. What? Let's just pull pull something out, right? Easier to use. but you don't know how you're going to get there. And to be truly innovative, you sort of have to not have a roadmap or the popular conversation du jour. You know, you have to be able to pivot or fail fast or whatever it is. And so just the mere fact that this is sort of happening and it, the frame is very big for what Occupy Wall Street is about. And, and we don't know how we're going to get there, but we need to voice that the, this thing is broken, right? Um, and, and, and that in and of itself is 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 fueled by the nature of the web and social media and the fact that we're all connected. The other thing to me that's really the major shift is how quickly something like this can happen and how it just springs up because of the post-media era or the social networking era that we're living in. You just sort of, if you're in Boise, Idaho, you can feel connected via hashtag or whatever's going on to the folks down at Wall Street and it's happening all over the world and these nodes are popping up everywhere. I mean, to me, Occupy Wall Street is sort of this physical embodiment of like the network, right? It's it's people are physically sprouting up on different nodes and taking it upon themselves to make a point. Whereas in the past, you would have had a million-man march where in a month from now, we're all going to show up on Washington and have a bunch of big speakers with big names in front of a big, long mall, you know, that kind of thing, like like you said, with the sanity thing. Look what's happened so quickly that it, it's completely different. It's it, And to me, it literally, like when I envision Occupy Wall Street and all the places it's happening, it looks like a network map to me. It's the way I think of it. It's just that's the way things are going to happen from now on. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, my experience with um, with uh, my organizing work during Prop 8 before right. it and after uh, Quality Camp um, was trying to have it organized like the web and having a hard time with the institutions that existed that had done the organizing, not only ignoring the Internet and campaigning against Prop 8, but um, – you know, having money be centralized. I'd be interested in knowing how organized Wall Street is dealing with donations, how they're going to keep that transparent and open. That's yeah. a really important thing. Um, that was okay. a big problem with Equality California. I mean, the, the major gay rights lobby in California is still, I don't know how open they've ever been about 
I think they just recently announced what they were doing with the excess funds from from the Prop 8 fight. And um, I mean, it's recent, which is ridiculous. And they also announced that they're not going to try to amend the law. What they're not going to organize again. And I think part of that is because you can't organize. I don't see political organizing being able to work the way it used to. Agreed. You were saying, Kev? Um, I, I thought that the Occupy Wall Street, because they have the evening meeting where they do the, the um, human microphone thing, that's when they debate what to do with the money as well. So, so part of that is that they um, have that public meeting and they say, okay, we've got you know, $5,000 donated. What should we do with it? Um, They're doing like the end of a kind of an open space meeting circle? Yeah. Oh, that is very cool. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, you know, bar camps and that whole movement are partially based on, on the open space movement and not open source. Um, and what happens at the end of these meetings is that you, you do a full circle and you sort of share with the whole network or everyone who has attended what happened in the other groups and you decide as a group on things that happen at the at the end of the day. So it's kind of part of that framework. Sorry, Kev, I just wanted to explain what it was. Right, I think well, I think I think that's partly it. There's there was also some um debate whether you know whether they're actually trying to do a a, a voting or a consensus based um policy as well. There's some, some back and forth about that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me also. Look how quickly um the other thing that's happened is look how quickly sort of within, um, I don't know, a year, people have learned, people with, you know, capital P, all people have learned sort of these new organizing principles, how quickly we learn. So, you know, uh, to give a couple of examples, like Heather, you talked about the, the rally for sanity. If you think about it, it was sort of a, a bridge. It was a little bit, you know, network and connected like because they still had big speakers, but the audience was participating, right? So that was like a first, like a point one or point five kind of version. And then you had the Arab Spring, um, and and now you're having Occupy Wall Street, which is which is complete, which is even more so. And it, it to me, it's interesting how quickly we as humans sort of learn and adapt and and. Sort of are going back to our roots. It's how we're built. Yeah, right? that's sort of what's you know that's what Mark Pesci talked about last week. Right, right? was just this mm-hmm. constant acceleration of the network of us learning from each other and tumbling being the way that people are making these connections. I would say Rally for Sanity to me was a bit unique, or what it had in its moment was not being. It, it was a bit of a reaction, of course, being fed up, but it wasn't reactive. It wasn't like now we're against you right. and we hate everything. Um, I. Don't know. I can't speak for the Arab Springs, but they certainly seem to be very clear reactions against dictatorships. Occupy Wall Street supposedly has a certain amount of openness to disagreement there, where you can just kind of has this inclusive. You can come and agree or say anything you want. Disagree with the people who are supposedly doing this, which is also something that's resistant to being reactionary. Because here's the thing: that's really, I mean, I'm somebody who. Organized a lot in college, a lot in law school, organized all the diversity um, day stuff, which turned into like a week long stuff at my law school, which before I was there was walkouts. All the major law schools when I was in law school for a while had a day of walkouts uh, inspired by Derek Bell, who just died last week. We lost another major figure who was uh, the guy who created critical race theory at Harvard Law School. And he had taken a sabbatical from Harvard Law School in protest of Harvard Law School's refusal to have ever hired a woman of color as a faculty member. This was in the 90s at this point. 
And uh, so these diversity days were trying to mount pressure on faculties to diversify because at this point, most law schools were at least 50% female in their student bodies and they were at least 10% people of color. And the faculties looked nothing like that. They're usually zero or one person of color. And like at my law school, there's 40 faculty that were tenured and two were women and they were both married to men on the faculty. So that, that was sort of like the political environment. And because I did that kind of organizing, although in my case, I didn't want to react because I was always very very hesitant about this. I'm just going to come in and say, I don't like everything you're doing. Cause I felt like you just ended up being canceled out somehow by doing that. Mm. And I, uh, you know, people thought I'd be, I thought maybe I'd be a political leader, a big organizer for a long time, but I was so frustrated by the bullshit <laughs> of liberal organizing. I couldn't take it. Well, and I was much more attracted by, yeah, by the net by by making something first of all and not a culture of complaint i le- prefer a culture of making a connection yeah. yeah and i mean i think all of us in our in our age range we're very lucky that the net and the web showed up when it did because it gave us an outlet for that kind of stuff and that's what i think contactcom will be about next next week it's very much sort of the i don't want to use the word generation but a specific sort of age range or type of person that you know, wants to organize and tumble and make and catalyze, but had been frustrated, and we were all like early 20s, right, frustrated with the existing institutions, but not reactionary the way the baby boomers were, but thinking, oh, my God, through technology, we, we can make, in the broadest sense of the word, make things over here that work for us. And we're seeing that now, right, 15 years later, in whether it's crowdsourcing or Occupy Wall Street or social networking or whatever it is, sort of coming a little bit to fruition, right? We'll just do it. Thanks to technology, we we felt empowered to do it ourselves, right? And that's really pretty cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, for me, part of this, I just wanted to finish earlier, oh. comes from going moving from a reactive mode, like you're left, so I'm right, or you're right, mm-hmm. and I'm left, mm-hmm. and starting to say, you know, I kind of don't buy either of these things, which is sort of packed as a Gen X thing. Um, yeah. But then also we got a sort of Gen X and Gen Y don't participate. They're slackers. They're not voting. That was voting. never true. That was never true. We knew that. Well, there has been, I mean, there was a lower voting rate, but I think part of that is a sort of discontent with the reactionary, I'm on this side, I'm on that side style of Well, the politics. slacker thing I have a problem with. I, I think that the Gen X, Gen Y, whatever, just took their participation online. That's what I'm saying, right? We didn't necessarily vote as much, but we... Can, gathered, but I and, think that's the decision to say I don't like your yes. platform anymore. I'm not buying a wing computer, and instead of ha- it being seen that way as like you know what, this is our vote on the corruption or the pointlessness of your right. system. It it's as seen slacking. as you don't care. Right, it was seen as because you're not participating in the existing system. You don't care, and that's what I mean. To I, your I, point, I just said anyone out there in the chat room or anyone else, what you think about this? I mean, this is our take because maybe it's yeah. self-serving for the two of us to believe. <laughs> Because that's our personal experience. Well, I don't our, know. It's our, it's our, it's our also the, you know, our lens, right? You know, the way we see it um, uh, through through that lens. I also was really happy to see though the big media um, isn't doing as good a job of this. So you alluded to sort of, um, you know, while we're taking some questions from the chat room or comments, uh, you know, alluded to the fact that they're trying to paint the Occupy or were a few days ago. Occupy Wall Street movement is a bunch of, you know, hippies, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, what what I'm seeing is that that's not the case. I've seen grandparents. I've seen nurses. I've seen, uh, I mean, and they're starting to show it on, on news reports. It, it, it isn't just a bunch of, you know, 
crazy left wing hippies. You know, it's 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 a lot of different people um, feeling participating. And you know, though I vehemently disagree with their policies, it's probably what the people in the Tea Party felt like when they got together. Um, you know, we don't believe in what what's there now. Let's start something new. They're very different. But they're all part of this new way, a la what we talked about last week with Mark Pesci and what we're talking about all the time here, ways of people saying, right, like, right, Heather, it's not reactionary. It's not left. It's not right. It's something else. Yeah. It's something more, less binary, right? Yeah. And that makes it more confusing to describe quickly exactly. because it's going to resist a sort of I'm on this side, I'm on that side. I mean, when I was at the Atlantic volcano uh thing i told the story at a show last month the other week and i was at the train station in berlin and the mainstream media a lot of them wanted to interview me as an american who's stuck there um and they all wanted sob stories because they knew narratively how that worked and i spent my time with them trying to say here's where you can go on facebook and twitter to get try to do ride sharing like i was focused on problem solving like and really excited to share here's how to get out of berlin i have to go to helsinki and they couldn't they couldn't use it because it didn't fit in the way the format of that structure was set up in terms of narrative. And I think that's very insightful. Uh, Doug Rushkoff's view of movements as being narratively based and, and having limitations in narrative. I mean, we're living in an era where games are more popular than movies and they're yeah. not so narrative. However, I, I, you know, I hope we get to talk about this next week. You know, the, the classic storytelling narrative is to a certain degree – whether it's the hero's journey or whatever, it is sort of resonates very much with us as human beings. So I do think that we, that we, I'm not talking about the media narrative, which they want, you know, drama right away in 30 second bites, but storytelling, yeah, it might ha- look like it has a different form, but we still like that, you know, uh, that hero's journey, that there's a problem and you go out and you solve it and there's drama and there's conflict and then you resolve it. And then, I mean, that, that's why we love fiction, you know? So it, it's, but it's, it's not as popular as gaming. I think it's limited. I don't think it's the only way we do stuff now. Agreed. I'm just, I'm questioning, are we, is our, our sort of brain cells changing the way that, you know, what the emotive qualities of how we grab onto, I don't know, for want of a better word, standard narratives changing? But the way we're used to that sort of, sta- of narrative is vicariously through someone else. That's why there's a big leader. As opposed to everyone having their own story, which is we are the 99%, which is a platform, you know, a curi- something that, that, right. that's set up as, as a platform that lets everybody have a story, which is very different than we have a story. A movement yeah. has a story. This has the idea of this is to have infinite stories. Right, infinite stories, but story and narrative, it, it, whether I'm, I'm – the, the, the difference is I'm the hero in my own journey, and so I get to Yeah, but ideally it's more in the sense like Burning Man, like from what I hear, they're trying to figure out where are we going to the bathroom and, and how are we doing with donations and who's going to have socks. Like it's not just purely based on passive story to engage people. Right. Part of what's emotionally engaging you is you're the person feeding somebody. It's the participation of it. Yes, and and I think we're that's my question. You know, if by participating, are we sort of changing? Not changing, but or you know the fact that, like you said, games. I'm participating in my narrative. That's why games are so big. But I still think that there is. A, I don't know. I'm just. I'm talking out loud about story and emotion, emotional connection. I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? 
this narrative is the gamification the game the fact that we're, so many more people are participating in gaming or leaning forward well, like I think, that, I think the, the part of the gaming culture is that um it, it's contingent and replayable so that you can try something out if it doesn't work you can try something out again um and the the sort of the generation growing up with with those kinds of games as opposed to the, 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 the you know the pure play for playing with other people type games where you where there is a narrative but it's um, you achieve a narrative by passing through a set of goals, um, but you can save at any time. You can go back and retry. Um, I think that is mapping out into life. People are saying, well, "Okay, what if we try a different way? You know, can we restore? Can we restore from a save before you did this, this stupid thing and try something else?" Um, so that there, there is that sense of, of um, contingency and malleability of the world that's that's there. That, that that's part of this. Um, and I think, and, and the other part of it is is just that. The presumption that everyone there is is able to broadcast, um, and so if the if the police rush them with with batons, um, they will be filmed doing that. Or if they, if they you know, I think the the media narrative that appeared was was when that cop pepper sprayed the women, right? Uh, and that was suddenly there was a oh we have a narrative hook that we understand here, police brutality. Yeah, we we, we recognize that. We've one. done this before. Right? We've done this before. Okay, um, and then uh, you know. Uh, and, but that was that wouldn't have happened. Some, somebody um, there any press cameras there. That was people with cell phones. Heather. Oh, Kev, do we lose? Do we lose Heather? Mm. No, not mid thought. Yes, she just did. She, we just lost her, and I I'm think they might have lost our sound. They have to bring her back. Our sound keeps coming and going. Our sound oh, okay. is going to be doing that all night because I, I'm going to re-engage with chat room while we're doing that. Um, something I don't understand. I will bring Heather back in. Hang on. You bring Heather back in. Hey guys. Yeah, and we got. Back. We just lost you for a quick second. Um, what, um, you remember what you were jumping in on, Heather? Uh, is it, can you hear me now? Yes. I was just saying I I'd read a piece and I wish I. Oops, she's, she's gone. gone again. So as much as we love the inner hoops, <laughs> we sometimes find them very frustrating. We'll get her back. We'll get her back. Okay, try again. One more time. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, perfect. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, last time. Why don't, I don't want to know if I'm repeating. Did you hear any of this? Matt Taibbi, Rolling Stone, I think this is his observation. Um, we didn't hear that. I did see okay. that one, but yes. You that talk I, about it and I'll find the link. That it's difficult. I don't know if it's his, but he had a good piece nevertheless. Um, that one of the difficulties they thought of this, this of Occupy Wall Street moving was the, the absence of a clearly, easily visualizable evil because it's complex financial reg- yes. regs that are hard to see. And so having... The pepper spraying was a seeable thing that helped jack up general interest. I think that's true. I think what we do have that's very visible, visible and visual, which we are the 99% tells you a little bit of, is people and their what they're losing. So, I mean, there are some blogs out there. You can see places where people are, uh, I've got to find the links, where um, people are destroying the hoses, houses they're in that are being repossessed. The, the the visuals probably that are there people's the details of people's lives right and, it and again it's a, yeah it's an internet thing that's making me think of it so i think about yeah. Flickr. what made Flickr grow so much faster than say a tv show 
It's because Flickr lets everybody's life be the detail as opposed to the vicarious narrative that lives for you. Exactly. You which is what, right. Totally. Which is exactly that's the sort of participatory world, the connected world and the, the, the where the Tumblr slots right in. Right. You know, we're not sitting passively. We get to be in the center of our story and our story is interesting and we can connect with others who have our story and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I also think that when it comes to old media or big media trying to sort of pull out the grains in a story like Occupy Wall Street, the com- you know, the complexity of what's happening within a community. A reporter shows up. They aren't part of the community. I'm using that word purposefully. They show up from the outside and view things like sort of through a transparent outside the circle. So they 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 can't really grok what's going on. And last week when I was in New York, I was watching my my actually favorite, I love New York One for those who are in New York because it's such local news. And they have a show on which sort of rehashes the news at the end of the night. And they had on Pete Hamill and another columnist I forgot about because New York One published a book about recently. And I, I, Kevin, if you can find the, the name of the book, I'd love it. Um, you know, about the dying art of columnists and what is what a columnist as opposed to um, a reporter. And I'm bringing it up here because Pete Hamill, who I loved for years, who's a great, you know, of the of the era of really great columnists and beat, beat reporters, said, back then you were both a columnist and a reporter. And the difference between the columnist and the reporter was that the columnist often was in the community that they wrote about. They knew the people on the street. And a good reporter would ask the questions and they would and they would have a point of view that might be more than just the facts. But because they knew the people and they were part of the community they served, for want of a better term, uh, you know, it was really fascinating to hear them talk about that because in the same breath they were talking about, well, how has this changed with media today? And, you know, Hamill's like, with, you know, with blogs and all that, I say, well, you know, <laughs> he goes, I love blogs, but most blogs aren't, aren't reporters, they're therapy, you know. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. And he wasn't saying it in a negative way. It's just a different point of view. And he's saying what's being lost with a lot of new, what, what some good blogs have and what old media is missing is that being part and inside. So if you really wanted to have a reporter not just do the pepper spray on the cover, they would have had to be there, A, and and see the subtleties, which, you know, tumbling is all about a lot of subtleties very often, and the connectedness and the fiber of what's going on there, A. And B, frankly, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, they conflict makes for a better cover story than other stuff. So that's so the that, other reason. You know, it makes for a cover story in a media we're watching less of. I mean, I know right. I- I'm finding that this uh, Occupy Wall Street, it's one thing to, to, to have the Arab Spring happen and have our mainstream American media not cover it, and then we're even more online because they've missed it so much. Well, right. now we're having the same thing happen here, and it's mm-hmm. making it clearer and clearer how pointless a lot of the media that we have is if they're not going to cover stuff. Well, if they're not going to cover it um, the way it needs to be covered frankly, you know, if they're just going to do this sort of outside in and with more and more of these Occupy Wall Streets, you know, tea parties, all these other things, all these more organic movements or things that happen too quickly for them to sort of get. What a lot of this reminds me of is this the expression that, you know, I took, I, I love that Andrew Zoli of PopTech said is that, you know, 
communities are there are, are there before you need them. So a true sense of connectedness means you had to be there ahead of time. And then and then and then you can show up, right? Like when you were stranded by the volcano, uh, you know, you connected with people you already knew. So the, the, the fact that all these movements can pop up and that people in your neighborhood and things can happen quicker now is only happens if you're already connected. So I actually think you need more and more the reporters who are, quote unquote, embedded like they are in the war, but embedded in their local. Because if they just show up at the 11th hour and parachute in to report on something, they're not going to get the true story. And that's why it's not interesting to us to read about it because it's not really what's going on. They have to be there ahead of time or, or figure out a way to – Well, we know. have – if you're online, you have something to compare it to because you can just look right. at your Twitter stream and hear yeah. something. I'm down here in Portland and here's what's happening. Right, exactly. And, and frankly, for the way that we'll find out about what's actually happening within the camps is through connecting through our 10 degrees of separation or 4 degrees of separation. Hey, hey Kevin – um. I just thought about this since it's timely. Did anyone at TEDx today speak about Occupy Wall Street? Um, no, no, not, oh. not so far. No, it was it could because there were people speaking about their work. Ah, okay. Just, just curious. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it next week, and yes. and and it's it's um, it, it'll be interesting, especially because it's in New York to see what's going on. Uh, to me, you know, what's going to happen next is what's fascinating. I, the other thing about reporting that's different, I think, is this stuff, and it's and it relates to your innovation thing, Heather. Is you know, this stuff takes time. On the one hand, like you said, it, it's 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 being in the moment, right? And then seeing what plays out—that's the startup piece, right? And and our existing institutions want answers right away. That's why every big company is focused on innovation, because they do it so badly. You know, living in the messy. You know, what's they 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 live in the black and white, right? Living in the messy takes time. It's going to take time. And I don't think they're comfortable with that. I, I don't think. I think it, more than time, it takes emotional growth. And I don't yeah. think. But, yeah. I, don't I don't think all the time in the world will do shit for you if you don't do the emotional work, which is to learn how to handle discomfort. And if you can't handle discomfort, you can take years. It's not going to help you. Good point. Very good point. Um, yeah, I take that for granted. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Bad. I shouldn't necessarily get you anywhere. Tevin, yeah. um, what do you? See, what do you think about the concept of looking at this as a kind of open platform system? I mean, when you, you've worked on lots of protocols and open systems, what makes them succeed and what would help Occupy Wall Street succeed if you look at it in that vein? Um, that's interesting. I mean, the, the thing that – well, the thing that I've seen that works is where you look at a lot of instances and see what they have in common and then agree on that. Um, so – that may, you know, maybe maybe going through the we are the ninety nine percent site and saying what are you know what are all these stories having come and what are the what are the narrative threads here that that are similar? Um, is there is there something is there a pattern we can see from that? But I think it's 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 a lot it's a lot easier when you have something that is that is a bit more structured to begin with. A lot of the standards work um, nowadays is done by this kind of. Um, empirical review of what people have already done because you can you can do that now you can look at lots of instances of what people have already expressed um so how you how you would do that for a um for for, for okay would be, would be would be tricky i think they are in in effect they're doing that between the different cities they they they're moving ideas and tactics and 
um, things back and forth that way through the produce themselves. But I'm not sure they're looking at the, the sort of the broader broader patterns of. Um, I, I saw a Venn diagram there. someone did between the Tea Party. Yes, and I, 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 I saw that. Yeah, I posted that. Which shows uh, just for people who aren't seeing the link, uh, one group that says, uh, "What is it? Government is a problem." The other says, "The market is a problem." Then this massive overlap part in the middle says. You know the it's, kind of corrupt relationship between markets and government is the yes, problem. Yes, government governments have too much power. Corporations have too much power, and the governments and corporations are conspiring against us. Is the middle? I mean, he's just slightly more verbose than that. But that's right, the, and that yeah, and that's what I meant by it's the relationship between the two, Heather. Yes. But so if you were building out, this were like a protocol thing we're building. We're like, oh my god, look at this sweet spot because it. all these people want this thing. How so? So tumbling. Since we're supposedly right. not so much about tumbling, how do you tumble focus to that massive overlap? Like if you were working on a big standards body or a big protocol thing where you're trying to get everyone to make the thing work together, how do you help nudge? Well, you, well you, you have to come up with statements that everyone agrees to. So you have to say, okay, can we agree that corporations getting governments to pass laws in their interest is a bad idea? Um, and then you can probably get a broad agreement on that from both the Tea Party group and the um, Occupy Wall Street group. And then you say, okay, how do we fix that? And then the, then you get, you know, then the debate is, well, we need to you know, starve government of money so they can't do it, or we need to tax the corporations to stop them doing it or whatever. And th- then it gets harder. But what you then hopefully end up with is the kind of structural legislation that people have talked about before, like, you know, like Glass-Steagall, uh, which is the separation of... Um, banking from um, trading, so so the separation from lending people money f- um, uh, on deposit f- um, from um, taking bets on the markets and making those be separate institutions, um, and that you know there, there's some that um, what they call companies what they used to, what they, the companies that are too big to fail was the was the phrase but the the new phrase is companies that cause a systemic risk because if the the, the reason that they they were worried about those companies um then and they're worried about european banks now is that if they fail they will cause a a, a failure across the entire economy um, so that was the reason for propping them up in the first place. But the actual answer is not to keep propping them up, but to say, how do we structure this so that they, there cannot exist companies that have that potential to break the entire economy? What do we do to change that? And that's that's those those will be the kind of you know remedies that um, f- would probably fit with both the sort of the left and the right worldview in that it, they, they tend to be constitutional arguments. They tend to be rules of the game arguments. To Heather's point, though, and I think we lost the chat room a little bit, Kev, so check. Um, to Heather's point, the other big structural thing that's going on right now is that what I hear happen all the time is the left and the right go to their standard diatribes you know, of – tax everybody, don't tax anyone, big government, small government, and they don't realize that, that, they're, so, that they're so embedded in their points of view that, God, oh my God, if we tax something, it'll be horrible from a Republican point of view or from a Democratic point of view, you know, traditional Democratic point of view, we need more you know, government action or whatever. There, there has to be a more fluid um, set of standards and protocols that catch things like if it was a startup platform, you know, 
in process so that we don't have years go by with and then we end up with this huge banking scandal it should we should have I mean, I might be butchering the, the, the geek metaphor here, Kevin, but don't we have to have something that when a call goes to the API, you know, when a call goes out to the server and catches back, it goes, you know, bad code. You know, this is happening now. We have to fix it in in real right. time right now. Yeah, you and know, that's so the I way we work. We've had that, but you also, in this case, because you're dealing with humans, the humans have to actually respond to the signal coming back. And we've had the signals and they've just been ignored. That's all. Right. So, right. so the new platform, and that's the point. The, um, you need that's getting back to your point about if you're not emotionally whole, you're not going to be willing to. The, to me, the, the corruption of government right now, and the fact that everyone's entrenched in their point of view, is really about fear and not being whole and not not being willing to sort of have the courage of your conviction and and you know take a point of view that might be different than accepted or you know, go outside the box and realize that you might have to do something different. No, we have to try. Well, yeah, but you're, you're talking the tr- the practical reality, because we're talking about there's not just practical reality on the ground for people who don't have much who are trying to make, you know, who are poor right. and the changes. The practical reality is those who have a lot of money and power don't um, want to change. Have, have enormous, enormous influence and a lot built on the structures. They've been successful with the structures as they are. They have no incentive really, to look at it any differently or to change anything. Not only that, their incentive is to absolutely fight, especially when the biggest way to fight is to just ignore something, to keep it the way it is. So, you know... yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the reasons uh, there's a lot. I mean, I was I spoke. I don't know if I said this a few weeks ago on the show. I might not have had time for it, but I spoke at a conference, a private conference, with a bunch of big companies where I, I do make my money from speaking sometimes. And two of the other guest speakers were Michael Milken and Chuck Hagel, and me. And the thing that was most fascinating to me is that what we need is we need whether it's politicians or individuals who are willing and. They're very rare. I agree with you to step out of their usual comfort zone and 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 either have the freedom and ability because they have a lot of money, you know, whether it be a Warren Buffett, you know, talking about his taxes or others to take a step out and say or, or Chuck Hagel, who disagreed with his entire party about the Iraq war, um, you know, or Michael Milken, who got thrown in jail and had a, you know. Uh, aha moment, uh, you know, within the structures they live with, they were willing to make some sort of going against the grain. And I think that's also part of what's going to happen more and what we need more and more of, because we're, we're, it's going to take time for the existing structures to disappear. And we need more courageous people to be willing to step outside and 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 make some change and we have to be less binary as the people participating like you said for years everyone ignored it because hey i could get a more i could get a million dollar house with ten thousand dollars down why should i care you know there's something also at odds here with you know that's happening that we need to sort of we as the people also need to and that's why it was so exciting to see the people at occupy wall street sort of debating whether a politician should speak or not is to me, the minute I see people who are willing to live in the gray, that's what gets me excited because that's where the real stuff's going to happen. In the messy gray areas, not left, not right, not Democrat, not Republican, not Tea Party or not. It's got to be in the areas where people are willing to listen to someone who's different than themselves and come to some sort of compromise. And that takes emotional wholeness, as you say, you know, and, and tumblers are the vehicle through which that bridge can be crossed, I think. 
So, um, Kevin, in the time we have left, because we've been going for about an hour now on Occupy Wall Street, do you want to dig a little bit into Siri, which is some other human technology news of the week? Because iOS 5 was released, although not yet for the new phone, but for other devices. And maybe we'll see if there's a connection between Occupy Wall Street and (laughs) Apple's new exciting thing, Siri, the personal assistant. I did, I will say, I did just read, I'm terrible at remembering where I read these things. Um, It was a filmmaker who was saying, now my personal assistant in real life, I will lose another job because my phone is now going to replace my intern because I can just get my phone to remind me of stuff so much more easily now because this Siri thing is actually working, which is impressive if it's working because I'm dubious about the iCloudness because Apple's never pulled that off. So, Kevin, first of all, did you upgrade? Do you have this or you don't even use an iPhone probably no I don't use an iPhone I haven't bought a new one it's only on the new one as well so you have to buy a new iPhone to get this and they, they haven't shipped to anyone except journalists yet as far as I know um, so so all we've got is videos of demos and people showing off and saying it's cool um, and, and, and Daring seeing, Fireball loved it seeing the easter eggs that are, that are in it and so on um, and you know I'm suspicious of this in that I've been you know I've seen all the efforts to do this for the last 20 years um, and even just typing a, que- a question into the computer and getting a sensible answer is hard, let alone speaking it. So, so the, the notion of natural language recognition through speech is, fir- is, is like, first you've got to translate what they said into text, then you've got to respond to the text. And actually just responding to the text is hard enough. So you can play with it a bit, um, and if you've got some narrow domains, you can do you can do some useful things, and I'm sure it will be useful for you know for the for the, for the reminder type things that they've shown um, it off for. But I'm I'm suspicious in that um, it will it will it will deal it will work for a set of people who like talking to, to devices all the time. Um, but there's a large set of people who don't like doing that and aren't always in a space when they can do that, or if they are, they're, they're being immensely rude to the people who are with them. So I'm 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 not convinced that it that it's a going to be as, as as cool as it was. You know, we, we've had demos of this stuff, you know, 20 years ago with the, the Apple speech thing, not not, <laughs> not Newton, but the the Apple know, speech recognition thing in '93. Yeah. Um, they had they had this on the Mac where you could you would it would speak to it and it would respond with oh, speech or with actions yeah. right and we we played yeah. with it then um, the, the the Google phones have had voice search for a while now um, and it's not as as neatly integrated as that as that one um, but I'm I'm not convinced that it is as interesting as talking to a person um, and I think that you know the actual threat to to search is not so much a robot that answers questions but people that answer questions. Um, and asking a question of your Facebook friends or your Twitter friends um, or your Foursquare friends is more um, compelling than asking of, of, of those those than asking a question of Google. Or it ends up being a different kind of question that you can answer that way. I I paid a lot of attention to the series stuff this week, and I also can't play with it yet, but I will because um, I'm going to get the new phone because I'm still on the three. I paid a lot of attention to it but for personal reasons because I know the guy who founded the company. I was really excited that it got bought. He's a great guy who also is a brilliant technologist who believes Did in Did you Apple. use it before Apple bought it? 
I played with it a little bit back back in the day, you know, just watching him play with it. Tom is his name. And I know him through one of our previous guests, Jerry. To me, what's interesting is the people's reactions to it. Like you said, the filmmaker saying, now I'm going to lose my personal assistant. And my reaction is whether it were, it seems to be working nicely. So my first reaction was, one, A, that'll be great because it'll make hopefully for safer driving. B, because you can talk to things as opposed to typing them in. And they're very practical. And B, all of these tools, never they never replace people. But if they're used right, they can make you more efficient in their menial tasks so that you can have the more complex stuff to Kevin point be elevated to your friends and people and ask questions of them so let them let the let technology work for me and let the menial basic parameter stuff that you're talking about be easy so that i can you know spend time on the complex stuff that i need other people for but the fact that it's just human nature and everyone keeps going oh wow now i you know now i don't need you know this kind of person or that kind of thing misses the point to me um, you know, it should enable us to to do more interesting stuff with each other, I hope. But, you know, it's human nature to always, uh, you know, load more technology on stuff that people should be doing. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be a fun, sexy, cool thing to play with, but I don't know if it's going to change the world. To me, the most in- in- interesting voice recognition thing that's happened and changed my writing recently is Dragon. So anyone who's a talker like me or I guess Heather, Kevin, you, you're a better writer. You, you know, you go yeah, right but, to writing. But supposedly this app Siri has. It's, it's supposed to do that as well in the same way. Yeah, it does. And I'm saying and that's what I'm saying. The, the ability to have natural speech recognition and to enable those of us who like to be conversationalists put our thoughts down quickly to share them is to me an exciting thing because it's helped me get some ideas out of my head and connect with others. So to me, it's not the interesting thing. Isn't show me my next appointment. It's, it's the other, other more human ways of interacting with technology. But I think it's a step to more stuff. I don't know. It's another way that Apple's trying to make things more user-friendly. So that's good. I think we'll see. So Kevin, what do you think? Uh, Occupy Wall Street. You think it has it has legs? And thinking about it as a network or a startup, will help it have its next next round and its continued growth and its sense of Zeno hates our business uh, <laughs> metaphors. I'd say business model. By what I mean by that, Zeno is like uh, something that lets lets it keep going. You know, for me, I'm not very attached to any of the language about anything. It's more about what does it point to. You know, so my case would be how does this thing keep going. Uh, well, I mean, they, you know, they, they've got a practical challenge to keep going through a New York winter. Um, yeah, seriously. They've, but I think they've. There's enough momentum now and debate around it that that, that I think it has achieved some of the objectives of, of reopening the discussion about what to do about you know the, the problem of the financialization of the economy, if you like, the the, the fact that um, the banks have taken over vast chunks of the economy and aren't doing anything useful with it. Yeah, so you basically have economy squatting. You used to have real estate squatting. Now you have like... Yeah, you're, 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 you know, finance squatting. They've, they've basically ex- ex- extracted everyone's savings and gone whee with it. The thing yeah. is, at what point do they undercut their ability to have any money because they've destroyed the currency and the economy so they've no one to make anything from? Well, that's well. That's the thing. Then they go, "Oh, please bail us out again." 
you know, the, and then they, you know, they, they, they make random bets. Um, if the bets win, um, then they keep um, a large portion of the money. And if they lose, they say, oh, dear, never mind. Um, can you come and bail us out? That's, that's the sort of structural problem there. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this has been really an interesting tunnel vision. I do want to mention one more thing. So the Ada Lovelace Day we mentioned at the end of last week's show went very well on Friday. But there was a follow-up thing today that Nilla for Merchant put up about yes. embodying the change, which I thought was very good. Um, and what she did was she said, and she was talking about women in tech particularly, but she said the way you, the way you solve problems is not by talking about them but by saying I will make a commitment to do this. And she said, how do you make a commitment to bring women to tech? You, you should commit to mentor a woman who's trying to get into tech and take a pledge to do this. And I thought that was, that was very well said and very well put. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get her to come on the show at some point soon. That would be great. There was a nice piece that um, yeah. Mitch Caper tweeted out today. I think his wife did a, did a study based on you know getting more women in tech and talked also about um, – how whenever people are presenting this recent study that showed obstacles, not just in the pipeline to get a woman and people of color into the industry, but that the obstacles are facing once they're there and all the white guys in the room are like, no, this doesn't happen because I haven't seen it. So, I mean, that kind of comes back to the empathy. And I know Zina Frenia, who's a, a frequent participant in the show, has talked uh, a bit today about Tim Wise, who's a very visible um, advocate in the country about white privilege, the notion of privilege. What I understand that word to mean is just not being self-aware about somebody else's experience and that there are substantially very different experiences often going on in in, in what might look like the same situation. So part of what's tough is to get one person's subjective reality understood by those who already have power or can't see it. Yeah. Mm. And see it because they're focused on their reality, which is 1% pays 40% of the taxes. One, you know, I'm already paying this much. I'm making all these jobs. I'm whatever. Well, well, yes. Did you see I am the 53%? Do you see that, that response? Mm. No. So that was the, the, they said 53% of people pay taxes, um, 47% don't. And they put up another site that was, that was tested, you know, testimonials from people who did pay their taxes. That was a sort of counter to the, well, I'm the 99% of, um, people who said I've borrowed all my money for student loans and now I don't have any money anymore and I don't have a job. So there was there was a there was a sort of if you like culture war pushback in in that respect too. Yeah, I mean I think the tricky thing is well we can wrap any I, I think we're going to wrap this episode up and then we'll talk more about it in the post show if you want to get in on that if you want to be part of our post and pre shows you should listen to us live or that's how you can do it tumblevision TV every Thursday six o'clock. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Sorry, I don't know the standard times in the rest of the world. We have a lot of people come and join us from other countries. I want to thank uh, Xenophrenia for her participation tonight and, and Fuzi and some of the people here in the chat room, Kevin and and Debs for this conversation. And the people who are out there like sleeping on the street down in uh, Zuccotti Park in New York for doing the, that hard part of the work for sure. I want to thank our sponsor, Hover, and let you know that if you're looking for the simplest, easy, new way to get a domain or to transfer your domain somewhere where you can actually talk to a human being and make it really simple, where they will not upsell you, nor buy Super Bowl ads with jiggly chicks to put them in your face, nor insult your intelligence and your time by making it incredibly difficult to manage your domain and point it anywhere, (laughs) if you want just to be easy, 
hover. We use them. We recommend them. We wouldn't have a sponsor in the show. We wouldn't be totally behind. So come to TV and uh, click through to hover or just go and use your, uh, if you want, if you want a discount, you can get 10% off. Can't do much better than that using Tummel, T-U-M-M-E-L. Thank you so much. This has been our second Just Us chat, which is maybe appropriate because really Occupy Wall Street is a moment where all these things are coming together, where you see technology, culture, uh, politics, and business all together with the web in a really networked, in real life place, not just virtually. You can see how this, this, this shift is happening both online and physically and maybe it doesn't seem like much to people now but it already seems kind of different than than before so hopefully we'll it'll get learned from no matter what uh anything we'll we'll all be at contact con next week which is a really great conference in new york i'm thinking it'll be live streamed c-o-n-t-a-c-t dot uh, con.com we'll be doing a session we'll be doing our show live um, I was really uh, honored to get asked to do an opening provocation so I'm going to do something performative to hopefully emotionally get things stirred up be funny and uh, kind of try to help kick uh, th- this is a, a great open project by Doug Rushkoff to get the web back to a place where it's not all about getting people in a walled garden um, and serving a business goal that doesn't also serve a human goal. I think the best business goals also serve human goals. Amen, sister. All right, you guys. Uh, we'll, we'll see you here in the chat room in the post show, and we'll see you out there on the web. You can reach us at TumbleVision on Twitter. And uh, good night. We'll be here next week with... Contact Con. No, Contact Con. I think if we can get Doug Rushkoff, that'll be great. Or Vanessa Niemis. We'll get someone great from Contact Con to be on the show with us next week. All right. Night, everybody. We'll see you next week. That was such a Jewish goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Most of our goodbyes are Jewish goodbyes. I gotta become more Gentile in these moments. (laughs) 